Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio version of my show, Rebel Roundup, where we cover the hottest Rebel stories of the week. Today, my guests are Sheila Gunn-Reed and Ezra Levent. If you like the podcast, then you should become a premium content subscriber. That gets you access to the video version of my show, as well as shows from Ezra Levent and Sheila Gunn-Reed. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, and as a special bonus for you, we're offering a 10% discount if you use the coupon code PODCAST. Just go to therebel.media slash shows to become a member. Thank you for listening, and now, enjoy the show. You're listening to a Rebel Media Podcast. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. It looks like that stupid virtue signaling tweet Justin Trudeau sent out in 2017, you know the one in which he welcomed the entire world to come to Canada? Well, that ended up being costly in more ways than one. Sheila Gunn-Reed will explain why the taxpayer is now on the hook for nursing a $200,000 advertising bill. Oh my, and whoever saw this coming, apparently Islamists don't get along all that well with members of the LGBTQ community. Ezra Levent will offer his take on a heated verbal exchange that took place between a burqa-clad woman and a homosexual at a UK Pride Parade, a discussion that was anything but gay. And finally, letters. We get your letters. We get your letters every minute of every day. And I'll share some of your responses regarding the out-of-control theft problem at Liquor Control Board of Ontario stores. Oh, and get this, thieves are free to take advantage of the five-finger discount without fear of impediment. But if you go to an LCBO store to practice journalism, as we did recently, you can expect security guards to go into a full court press. Wow, I think I need a drink. Make it a double, actually. Those are your rebels. Now let's round them up. Now let's examine the spending because this spending shows some real liberal fear. The timing of Justin Trudeau's Welcome to Canada tweet is very important here. He sent that tweet out January 28, 2017, the beginning of the year. During all of 2017, the Liberals spent less than $10,000 to advertise information campaigns about illegal immigration. Look at here. The irregular migration campaign sought to reach individuals in the United States with temporary protected status to provide factual information about Canada's asylum system and to dispel misinformation suggesting that Canada will accept without question anyone claiming asylum between ports of entry or anyone with temporary protected status in the United States. You see that there? Just $9,100 in spending in a whole year. The same year our canoe spokesmodel of a prime minister sent his irresponsible tweet to the world, which then caused an influx of illegal immigration and asylum claims from potential deportees and overstayers from the United States. But despite all of that confusion and utter chaos, the Liberals weren't all that concerned with clamping down on the lawlessness at the border caused by Trudeau's tweet in 2017, until something else happened in late 2017, at the end of the year. 
polls started to suggest that Canadians didn't agree with Justin Trudeau's open door, take all comers and carry their luggage immigration policy. How does that old saying go? Think before you speak. And perhaps because it's 2019, that adage should be modified to state, think before you tweet. Think really, really hard, actually. Case in point, thanks to that Justin Trudeau grotesquely irresponsible tweet in 2017, welcoming the entire world to come on down to Canada. It turns out the government ended up spending almost $200,000 in damage control ads, given that polls would later reveal that the majority of Canadians aren't on board when it comes to Justin's open borders virtue signaling. But then again, it's only 200 grand. And in the grand scheme of things, that's not a lot of money, right? Besides, it's only tax dollars, plenty of those in the kitty. And joining me now with more on this sordid story is the host of The Gun Show, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Hey, David. Thanks for having me on the show. It is always a pleasure. So, Sheila, there's a perverse irony at play here, isn't there? Essentially, the makers, that would be the Canadian taxpayers, are paying a price in order to further accommodate the takers, all thanks to an idiotic tweet by the Prime Minister that should never have been conveyed in the first place. What do you make of this, Sheila? Yeah, I mean, as the story goes, in the year that Justin Trudeau sent that tweet, um, the famous Welcome to Canada tweet, that was just, you know, shameless, transparent trolling of President Donald Trump for his so-called Muslim ban, which wasn't a Muslim ban at all, but rather a ban on travel from you know, several failed states across the world. Um, that tweet, as we know, caused an onslaught of illegal immigration at Canada's southern border. That's an indisputable fact. What changed is when the federal government actually started caring about the damage that they were doing at the border, because in the year that Justin Trudeau sent that tweet, the government had only spent $9,100 on making sure that people um, clicked on these Google ads and search engine ads to give them the appropriate information about how to immigrate to Canada and strutting across the border ain't it. Um, but as soon as polling came back at the end of that year that Justin Trudeau sent that tweet, I think it was 2017, polling came in in November saying Canadians are overwhelmingly opposed to the catastrophic destruction of our immigration system at the hands of the Liberals. So all of a sudden, it went from $9,100 in a year to nearly $200,000 in the subsequent year and a half for the government to just throw money at search engine advertising, trying to get people who are doing things like Googling how to immigrate illegally into Canada to click on ads that say, no, 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 this is probably the way you do it and you shouldn't be just showing up at the border with your baggage in hand, although they still are. You know, and, and Sheila, I want to pursue that angle because it speaks to a bigger picture, the, and that bigger picture being the character of Justin Trudeau. You would think that once he saw the polling results and that the people, uh, the vast majority of people are against this kind of open borders policy, he might have said something like, you know, okay, I got it wrong, mea culpa, uh, we're going down the wrong direction, the people have spoken. But no, again, here's a man 
who dines out on public apologies for the sins of other people committed a long time ago. In fact, even before Canada was a nation, for goodness sakes, he can never take personal responsibility for anything he has done or said, even when he's clearly in the wrong. I think that's despicable that not only did he not reverse course on this policy, but that he doubled down with our own money to go out and tell us, no, you dumb people, here's why you have it wrong and I have it right. That's exactly true, David. It was Justin Trudeau's public pronouncement that really set the uh, prairie fire that just blazed out of control and caused all these problems at the border. It was his one tweet, retweeted tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of times, that one tweet seen around the world, and he's never come out and corrected himself on that. He's never come out and said, that's not the way to do things. We have a system in place. This is how you should be doing things. And he's never had to. And I think a lot of that plays into the mainstream media narrative about uh, illegal immigration. They don't call it illegal immigration, do they? They call it irregular migration as though it's completely lawful, it's just not happening the usual way. That's completely untrue. I watched a mainstream media uh, journalist last week try to correct uh, Maxine Bernier when he called it illegal immigration. She said, well, I believe we're calling it legal or irregular migration. It's so, um, it's dumbfounding. But as long as that continues to happen, as long as we're playing these word games, as long as the mainstream media refuses to hold Justin Trudeau accountable, I mean, he's just not going to answer for what he's done. Yeah, and you know what, you know, Sheila, maybe you and I have it right. I, I, I'm all about uh, getting education on the issue, which is why I went to Morocco last December uh, to mm-hmm. the UN Migration Compact, only to have my own government ban me from attending and covering that compact. So, hey, um, I, I guess they want us to remain ignorant by their own uh, uh, policies. But, you know, Sheila, it, it is outrageous that I can't think You know, I I stand to be corrected here, but I can't think of any nation in the world whose leader is tweeting out, you know, basically advocating for more illegal immigration into that nation. And I think what the unspoken story here is, Sheila, is that Justin Trudeau um, puts his fortunes and the fortunes of the federal Liberal Party ahead of Canada. Namely, when we have all these illegal immigrants coming into Canada and they get vote, they get the voting franchise, there's going to be that innuendo, you know, hey, never forget who let you in, never forget who opened the gates, you know, uh, you have an uncle in the furniture business, uh, make sure you vote for him. Uh, I think that's what's at play here, Sheila, and that is despicable in my book. We see this playing out right now also in the United States. Um, they want amnesty for illegal aliens in the United States, which would then give them the ability to vote, which would then, um, you know, I think the Democrats would then feel entitled to those votes. And it's so important for that to happen in states like Texas. Texas is getting a little more purple when it used to be deep red. And if you flip Texas with the amount of, um, with the amount of, Uh, power that has uh, in the electoral college, you can flip the whole country. And I think Justin Trudeau is counting on some of that 
uh, bleeding over here into Canada, some of that attitude like, hey, we let you in, so vote for us. The problem with that is that there are already a lot of legal immigrants in this country. Um, you know, you see it uh, in BC's lower mainland where you have people, uh, especially in the Chinese community, who have come here the right way. They've worked hard. They've adopted Canadian values. They just want to, uh, you know, pay their taxes and get ahead like everybody else. And they see a, a lot of people who are jumping the queue and they're really blowing the whistle. You see the Chinese community in the lower mainland of British Columbia leading the charge against birthright citizenship because they know that people from China are coming to hospitals in Burnaby just to have their baby to then have the baby sponsor the parents to become uh, legal immigrants to Canada. So, uh, you know, while Justin Trudeau is counting on, uh, you know, a lot of illegal immigrants uh, suddenly becoming Canadians and voting for him, he's really forgetting about the vast majority of legal immigrants to this country who really resent the queue jumping that Justin Trudeau is allowing to happen. No, I absolutely agree, Sheila. I think what we're seeing with the Liberals in Canada and the Democrats in the U.S. is actually to change the fabric uh, of the yeah. populace. Uh, like you said, that, that's a great example of Texas. I mean, it's hard to believe that, you know, back in 1980, uh, California was a red state that voted for Reagan. Uh, those days yeah. are long gone. And if Texas goes that way, uh, you're looking at probably a Democrat dynasty. And similarly in, in Canada, um, if we have basically a federal government and its prime minister espousing the mantra of no one is illegal just so that they can embolden their own powder ba uh, power base. Um, I think it's almost borderline treasonous, Sheila. I know that's a, a harsh word, but I think that's what we're seeing. That's what the ultimate agenda here is in terms of allowing and encouraging illegals to come into our country. Well, it's the uh, mantra of power at all costs. Yeah. The liberals really don't seem to care what happens in the rest of the country, what uh, what the social costs are, what the financial costs are, the damage to the Canadian economy, the damage to our social support network, i.e. food banks and uh, homeless shelters. We know the ones in Toronto are just brimming full of illegal migrants. Um, they don't really care about those sorts of things, those implications that the rest of us outside of the Ottawa and Laurentian bubble, the stuff that we have to live with every day, that's not really on their radar as long as they retain the power and as long as they retain their entitlement to be the natural governing party of Canada. Yeah, and uh, and I guess I guess we're gonna have to wrap it here, Sheila. And of course, the insult to injury is almost two hundred thousand dollars of our money, uh, saying how we've got it wrong. And uh, we didn't even get into that other uh, information you uncovered, Sheila, of um, uh, Climate Barbie also spending almost two hundred thousand dollars <laughs> to promote her climate change yeah, uh, agenda in advertising as well. But hey, it's they're very generous with our money, aren't they, Sheila? That's what it boils down to. Isn't that the truth? And this is just the stuff they spent on getting people to click on Google ads. This isn't, you know, all the other stuff that they waste our money on to fix the problems they created. I mean, just look at the crisis at the border and just the infrastructure they've had to build at the border. It's in the millions and millions of dollars, um, all because of Justin Trudeau's one tweet. Indeed. What a farce. Sheila, another superb report from you. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining me today here. 
Thanks, David. Have a great weekend. You too now, my friend. And that was Sheila Gunn-Reed from Alberta. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. What was the crime? And by the way, does anyone think what she said is not being preached and taught at a thousand British mosques and schools every day? She just made the mistake of saying it on a high street in English. Here's the cops. Waltham Forest Police. We are aware of footage circulating on social media of abuse directed at those taking part in the Waltham Forest Pride event. We are Waltham Forest STP Pride and uh, inquiries are underway. Uh, abusing someone because of their sexual orientation or gender identity is a hate crime. If you have been verbally or physically abused, harassed or attacked in any way by someone because you are or they think you are LGBT+, they drop the cue. Please report these crimes to police or through a third-party agency. Now, I obviously don't like the Sharia approach to women, sexuality, homosexuality, free expression, etc. Obviously, I mean... Just a guess if you're wearing a medieval body bag and it actually got up to 38 degrees Celsius last week in London. Think about that. If you're dressed like that and shrieking at gay pride marches, I'm guessing you've got strong views about everything from Jews to Western democracy to terrorism. Yeah, our new country is going to be amazing. But of all the things to criminalize, not sure that shouting shame at someone is the thing I'd start with. Pretty sure the problem actually predates that. Uh, if you're worried about what you saw there, perhaps the problem is inviting in millions of people who hate gays and believe they have to be stoned to death. And you suddenly, you thought they'd suddenly change their deep-seated <laughs> hatred on a short plane ride over. Maybe that's the problem. Here's Pew Research with their international surveys on gay rights. They, they polled gay rights all around the world. Should society accept homosexuality? In Canada, 80% say yes. In most Muslim countries, it's over 90% who say no. Are you still surprised that they say no in the UK um, shortly after taking the plane over from Pakistan? Now, here's a question for you. How are you gonna find that suspect? She's wearing a mask in public. She's dressed in black. How are you going to pick her out of a lineup? That's one reason we don't let people wear masks in public. Well, so much for that whiz-bang slogan of diversity is our strength, because when it comes to those who pine for Islamic Sharia law, well, apparently they aren't all that accommodating when it comes to those who comprise the LGBT and sometimes Q community. Surely this must give the progressives fits, yet what did they expect was going to happen? When one is weaned on an ideological diet of hatred towards certain types of infidels, old habits are hard to drop. And so it is that we end up with a burqa-clad woman cussing out an openly gay person at a UK Pride March. Gracious, how is the PC Brigade ever going to handle this hot potato when it comes to the so-called hierarchy of human rights? And with more on this story of Islam versus the LGBTQ community is our very own Rebel Commander, Ezra Levent. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Thanks. My one uh, objection to your introduction is I don't think she was cussing. She said, shame on you. Yes. And she used two adjectives, shameless and despicable. But she didn't swear. Um, she just kept on shouting, shame, shame, shame. It was like either something from The Handmaid's Tale. Um, I don't think, in my view, she broke any laws. Uh, she was not violent. Yeah. She didn't call for violence. She was irritating, yeah. and I think she was uh, over the top and offensive. 
But it was a gay pride parade, which is inherently a political statement. And I think in the UK, it ought to be free enough to, to say shame to any manifestation or demonstration on the street. What's fascinating to me is that had that been an indigenous working class white yes. Brit soccer hooligan or whatever, he would have been arrested immediately. Um, in Islam, in the UK, that's just sort of normal. Yeah. Um, so I was actually really surprised when they arrested this woman. The police, I mean, I, first of all, how do you identify her? She's wearing a burqa. You know, you, you, you put seven women in burqas in a police lineup, how do you even identify her? Exactly. Unless she's confessing. But I don't believe someone who has that deep-seated a view would confess to any crime or even submit to the authority of a secular law. Someone like that is full-on Sharia law. The Quran is her only law. I, I find this a confusing case. I'm looking forward to seeing if she's actually prosecuted. Not only do I think that she won't be, yeah. but I think if she would be, which I doubt, there would be such a public reaction from Muslim extremists in the UK, of whom there are a great number. Yep. And listen, if it's a indigenous white working class soccer hooligan, the police don't care, and if anyone shows up, they'll hit them with a billy club. But there are 23,000 actual jihadists yes. walking the streets of London. That's in addition to millions of, of Muslims who may be sympathetic to it one degree or another. I've seen surveys that show the plurality of British Muslims think it should be illegal, for example, for someone who's gay to be a teacher. Um, I've seen, like, and so that's, that's sort of where the, the needle is there. Uh, of these 23,000 jihadis, 3,000 are so dangerous, the police monitor them 24 hours a day. You've got 3,000 people so dangerous I mean, I don't know how many people it takes to monitor someone 24 hours a day to track them. That, that could be 50. You know, it's fascinating, Ezra, because I also looked at the media coverage of this and even the way the writers and columnists are walking on eggshells, avoiding the use of, this, of uh, the descriptor burqa, uh, you know, a woman in uh, black clothing, <laughs> right? You know, the way they're pussyfooting around uh, the elephant in the room. But I'm wondering, you know, are we really that much different here in Toronto? I go back to June at the Al-Quds Day Parade, and you know that interview where I, uh, I, I talked to somebody who said things far worse, that, yeah, yeah basically under Sharia law, we're nothing personal, but we're going to have to execute all yeah. the gays in Canada. I remember right? that guy, and that same guy <laughs> was very candid, and he said, yep. Haha, sucker, I didn't swear allegiance uh, to Canadian law <laughs> yeah. one night on my immigration ceremony. I kept my mouth shut. It's your fault for not watching me. Yes. That was an incredible interview that, that was widely circulated. Um, yeah, absolutely. And there was one line in that protest in London, in, yep. in a neighborhood beautifully called Waltham Forest. Right. And you, Waltham, I mean, you could just imagine how pretty it once was. And now it's as crappy as can be. And it's going full Islamification. Yep. There are halal stores everywhere, uh, hijab stores, niqab. Like it, it's, um, it's not long that that gay pride parade will even still be there. Um, soon it'll be too dangerous to have. There was this one last, w w she was shouting, shame on you, shame on you. And she just kept repeating it. It was sort of in a, like a trance or a, a chant or a mania. And someone in the Great Pride Parade shouted back and said, that's what the racists and fascists say about you. And I thought, you know what? You finally noticed that, eh, buddy? But you noticed that probably 20 years too late for Walden Forest and for Bradford and for Luton and for Birmingham and frankly, 
Rotherham and Rochford and most of the UK, it's too late for you liberals to finally notice that, yeah, these newcomers who you allied with in a temporary alliance of convenience because they too despised the Western state, you thought they were your ally, but how are uncovered women or gay men or trans men treated back in Pakistan, oh. back in Syria, Iran, Afghanistan, uh, in, in Gaza, and only now, only now did that one fella notice that, yeah, maybe, maybe the threat to his sexual freedom is not coming from the timid Church of England or the Pope in Rome. It's coming from somewhere else, and he just, just noticed. But I wonder, Ezra, I would challenge you on that point. Did he notice that? Because I, I know the part you're talking about is at the tail end of the video, and it's, it, you're, you're right, that's how the racists and fascists uh, you know, speak about you. But... Is he still obsessed with the racists and fascists uh, as being the elephant in the room as opposed to the Islamists who come from a culture who are embedded in the UK um, where, where their Islamic private schools and mosques teach you know, hatred of certain groups, um, where there's 85 or so Sharia courts. I'm just wondering if that guy does realize who the real enemy is in terms of his sexual orientation. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll never know because we'll never know who it was who yeah. hollered out. But, um, you know, there was a, a Dutch politician named Pim Fortown who wasn't just gay, he was super gay. Like, he, he went around with a little puppy in his lap and he was so flamboyant, he was like Liberace gay. And um, he, was an, he was a canary in the coal mine. He said, I like being gay. And I like being in Amsterdam, the gay capital of Europe, and I see the threat to that is Islam. And he was an anti-Islam campaigner. He was assassinated. Yeah. Theo van Gogh, another Dutchman, yes. gay, assassinated. Because they saw the threat. And even after their assassination, Holland still kept the doors open. In fact, their assassination shut up the biggest critics. Uh, there's assassination plots against a Dutch politician named Geert Wilders, who, who still rings the bell. So yeah, these people will not, I think that those are anomalies. I think I've just listed you know, most of the gay activists in the world who realize where their peril is coming from, and, to, and several of them have been murdered. I, I think that what we saw there in, in Waltham Forest is a premonition of our future, and HBO or Showtime or whoever is producing the Handmaid's Tale, <laughs> what a farce that is to pretend that it's a Christian threat and there's some Christian theocracy in the world. I've never seen it. There is a theocracy in the world that is sexually reactionary and it's called Islam and you don't have to call it fiction. You can just go out with a news camera and cover it every day, but I guess that's a little bit too difficult for Hollywood to talk about. It's, it's, it's shocking, Ezra. Um, thank you so much for this, and I think that future is closer than most people would like to think. And you know, folks, I did mention that uh, Al-Quds protests are actually advocating death to gay people. And in that same month, what did we see in Toronto? A couple of street preachers in the gay village preaching Christianity, nothing hateful at all. And boy, did the police descend upon them with the force of a papal bull. Wonder where the priorities are. Keep it here, more of Rebel Roundup to come right after this.
David Menzies for the Rebel.media here at the Queen's Key LCBO store in downtown Toronto. Now, it's been in the media lately that the LCBO stores are suffering from an uptick in shoplifting, and little wonder why employees are told that if, even if they witness somebody stealing anything, um, not to interfere whatsoever. In fact, um, one anonymous LCBO employee tipped off the media a while back that there has been a steady increase in such theft, not just of people who are destitute, but entrepreneurs who are simply stealing bottles of booze and then reselling them. So what an incredible business model. Anyways, the question arises, how much um, money in terms of dollars is the LCBO losing on an annual basis? We reached out to the LCBO. They refused to give us these figures. So we made an FOI request. And incredibly, our demand for a dollar figure was denied. Now, what makes this concerning is that we're supposed to have a new government in place where there is transparency, especially when it comes to Crown Corporations. Now, we reached out to the Ministry of Finance, and they basically told us that this is an LCBO internal matter. Uh, my personal theory is that the dollar amount must be so massive. Actually, well, that would defeat the purpose of our uh, <laughs> of our visit. Everyone has privacy. They don't want to be on a camera. They don't have to be on oh, camera. Sir, okay? we, we can you turn it? You're not we, turning. We are it on off. camera right now. Okay. I, I understand yeah. that, but this is your own personal camera. We do not want yeah. to be on your own personal camera, sir. Your autofocus is not going to help you here. Okay, <laughs> turn off the switch there. That's the autofocus. I'm not a fool. Get out the store, guys. You have to get out. If she's at, if she hasn't given you the go-ahead, you have to get out. Again, why don't you come down so hard on the thieves stealing bottles I, I of booze? Answer these questions, okay? No, I'm but it's, it's a fair sir, question. Sir, Can you tell us how much you lose, say, on a daily basis, sir? I'm not the person to answer that question. Okay, but the people that do answer these questions aren't answering those questions. Amazing. The Liquor Control Board of Ontario has an out-of-control theft problem when it comes to people waltzing out of its stores without actually paying for their beer, wine, and spirits. Yet when the rebel goes down to an LCBO store to shed some light on this issue, well, the booze bureaucrats decide to shoot, or at least shut down the messenger. Yeah, these guys running the provincial liquor monopoly sure have their priorities straight, don't they? In any event, here's what you had to say about the LCBO running its business in a fiscal fashion that would make a drunken sailor blush Pitsky P writes, filming is a problem, shoplifting, no problem. Wow, clown world. Indeed, Pitsky P, and keep in mind that this state-sanctioned monopoly justifies its very existence on the premise of social responsibility. So the LCBO will age-check customers they think might be minors, but on the other hand, Miners can walk out of the store without even paying for their illicit booze, no questions asked. Clown world indeed. And there's cotton candy and rides and all sorts of surprises down here. Bubbling Blue Crab writes, go to Premier Ford, get an answer. Oh, I have reached out to Premier Ford's office, Mr. Crab, but it's been radio silence thus far which is downright inexplicable and disappointing. After all, Doug Ford ran an election campaign promising openness and transparency. His government would be for the people. Remember that tagline? 
And when he ran municipally, his political slogan was respect for taxpayers. Really, Doug? I'm not feeling much respect when it comes to the liquor file. I mean, I don't get no respect from anyone. Well, last week my house was on fire. My wife told the kids, be quiet, you'll wake up daddy. <laughs> SB writes, gotta love the government. Lose our money and tell us we don't have the right to know. Well, bingo, SB, and that's exactly the thing. If a private company like Walmart or Costco was having a serious shoplifting problem, well, that's really none of our business. But the taxpayers of Ontario own the LCBO. We at least have the right to know how many millions of dollars are going out the door. Ontarians are shareholders, and we'd like some transparency, please. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! And Landon Roy writes, this is why government should not have a monopoly over anything. Agreed, Landon. Monopolies by their very nature tend to be abusive, but a monopoly that has the power of the state behind it? <laughs> We're talking scary abusive. Oh, whoa, whoa. Did you see that? Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.